You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Proxy fishes for executives. Typo squatting to deliver a rootkit. Streamjacking on YouTube. A global look at risk management. Assistance from a diverse set of international partners. In our Solution Spotlight segment, Simone Petrella speaks with Diane Janicek, Executive Director of Capital Technology University's Center for Women in Cyber, about paths to cybersecurity and ways to address cybersecurity workforce intelligence through education. Dave Bittner previews the third annual SOC Analyst Appreciation Day with Kayla Williams of Devo and some guidelines for hacktivists engaged in hybrid war. I'm Trey Hester filling in for Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Wednesday, October 4th, 2023. Researchers at Menlo Security warn that a phishing campaign is exploiting an open redirect vulnerability on the job listing site Indeed to distribute a link to a spoofed Microsoft login page. The campaign is targeting C-suite employees in various industries, particularly in banking, financial services, insurance, property management, real estate, and manufacturing. The threat actors are using the evil proxy phishing-as-a-service platform. Reversing Labs has discovered a typo squatting campaign affecting the JavaScript package manager NPM. The malicious package impersonated the legitimate package node hide console window and was downloaded more than 700 times. The package installed a Discord bot called Discord Rat 2.0 designed to deliver the open source rootkit R77. The researchers explained, quote, Like Discord Rat, R77 is an example of open source malware with extensive documentation that makes it easy to deploy even by novice actors. R77 is a fileless Ring 3 rootkit that is able to disguise files and processes and that can be bundled with other software or launched directly. R77 is a recent addition to Discord Rat 2.0, with previous versions of that open source malware lacking the ability to launch a rootkit. Also of interest, the Discord Rat 2.0 executable we studied did not use the newest version of the R77 rootkit, but an older version of the rootkit. End quote. Bitdefender looks at streamjacking attacks on YouTube in which cybercriminals compromise large YouTube channels 
and use them to host live streams promoting scams. Many of the streams are Elon Musk-themed, with a particular focus on Tesla news and cryptocurrency investments. Some of the compromised accounts had millions of subscribers and billions of views. Bitdefender notes that in most of the cases analyzed, it seems that if the malicious activity is detected by YouTube, the actual channels are deleted altogether. This means the legitimate owner of that channel will lose everything. Videos, playlists, views, subscribers, monetization, and everything that goes beyond the YouTube channel itself unless talks are undertaken with YouTube. PwC has published its Global Digital Trust Insights Survey for 2024, finding that although cloud attacks are the top cyber concern, about one-third of organizations have no risk management plan to address cloud service provider challenges. Additionally, more than 30% of companies don't consistently follow what should be standard practices of cyber defense. The survey also notes that a third of this year's respondents agree that four types of regulation will be most important to securing the future growth of their organization. Regulation of AI, harmonization of cyber and data protection laws, mandatory reporting of cyber risk management, strategy and governance, and operational resilience requirements. The European Peace Foundation has established a 15-workstation classroom to train Ukrainian military personnel in cyber operations, EU Neighbors East reports. Quote, the classroom was set up by the Estonian Academy of Electronic Governance. Within the last 18 months, the eGovernance Academy has procured, set up, installed, and configured cybersecurity equipment, security hardware, and software for the Ukrainian Armed Forces and conducted related training. The New York Times offers an account of how support for Ukraine's cybersecurity has been delivered. Microsoft in particular is mentioned in dispatches. The vice president of European Governmental Affairs for Microsoft told the Times, quote, I think it's appropriate to start with the war in Ukraine. It's something we've been engaged in very actively from the start, even before, because of all the signals. 65 trillion signals that we analyze every day to make sure that our customers are safe. We have certain insights and information that governments don't have. So we saw early on that something was going on in Ukraine, and we collaborated with the Ukrainian government and gave them the information we had. End quote. The information provided was related to cyber operations. We note in full disclosure that Microsoft is a CyberWire partner. And finally, hacktivists get some guidance from the Red Cross. Two officials of the International Committee of the Red Cross have issued guidance for hacktivists, published as an essay in the European Journal of International Law. They amount to an extension of existing international norms of armed conflict to cyberspace, with a view to preserving norms that would protect non-combatants, not only against attacks against infrastructure, but also from online incitement to atrocity. Certain specific classes of targets are explicitly prohibited, notably medical and humanitarian facilities. The BBC says that the IT Army of Ukraine is unsure whether it can or will abide by the rules. In particular, the IT Army seems to view the rules as constituting an absolute prohibition of collateral damage, which they state is not always possible to avoid. The group already avoids attacks against hospitals and similar facilities, but has conducted nuisance-level DDoS attacks against civilian infrastructure like banks and travel booking services. The hacktivist auxiliaries on the other side of the war dismissed the ICRC as irrelevant. Russia's Kilnet stated, quote, Why should I listen to the Red Cross? Anonymous Sudan, which, despite the name, is a Russian hacktivist auxiliary, rejected the ICRC rules outright, saying the restrictions were not viable and that breaking them for the group's cause is unavoidable. Cyberspace has a disinhibiting effect on its users, and that disinhibition, that sense of immunity and impunity, carries over to hacktivism, many of whom act without a sense of consequences that might restrain them in real life. One of the cautions the ICRC officials emphasize in their essay is that irregular combatants can be treated as combatants, 
and even, under some circumstances, as criminals. They state, quote, Civilian hackers risk losing protection against cyber or physical attack and may be criminally prosecuted if they directly participate in hostilities through cyber means. While hacktivism has so far seldom, if ever, risen above the level of nuisance in Russia's war against Ukraine, that could change. An essay in Dark Reading lays out the case for taking the threat seriously, despite its negligible results to date. Groups like Killnet are taking an interest in wiper malware, and they increasingly see themselves as a virtual analog of private military corporations like the Wagner Group. Coming up after the break, in our Solution Spotlight segment, Simone Petrella speaks with Diane Janicek, Executive Director of Capital Technology University's Center for Women in Cyber, about paths to cybersecurity and ways to address cybersecurity workforce intelligence through education. Dave Bittner previews the third annual SOC Analyst Appreciation Day with Kayla Williams of Devo. Stick around. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. Today, I am so thrilled to be joined by Diane Janicek, Executive Director of Capital Technology University for their Center for Women in Cyber. Diane, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Simone. I'm excited. I am too. Let's get right to it. Can you start off by telling me a little bit about your own path into cybersecurity? 
Oh, sure. I <laughs> wasn't expecting that one, but uh, we all have different paths, especially since, as we know, cybersecurity really didn't pick up as an academic discipline until about 20 years ago and it was an infancy. So folks that are working in the field usually have different paths and we all come together around a common passion. And um, so my, my path was really on the law, policy and technology side. I did a lot of, I went into network security policy and I really appreciated that. I also had to deal with some of the unauthorized disclosures and a lot of our interfaces with the public and the um, Capitol Hill in terms of protecting information. And then of course, the protection of privacy and civil liberties. So those all really synchronize. So I'd like to think that cybersecurity is kind of a nice umbrella because there's multiple things within that um, that are just really exciting and always changing. Yeah, that's amazing. So tell me, how do you think that your own experiences have shaped the way that you think about the cyber talent challenge that we're grappling with as an industry here? That's part of what we like to talk about and highlight. So where does this kind of land for you as we think about how we solve this? How we solve it? That's like the million dollar question. I know. Um, <laughs> so- you had a dollar for every idea, but I think what we're looking at um, as the challenge, the real challenge is getting the the country energized, right? You always have to have a sense of urgency that there's an issue that we have to rally around, kind of like the the World War II, kind of, you know, we can do it and uh, pull together. I usually have to have that as an impetus before you really get people on board and, you know, get that momentum and get those, get the buy-in. I think we've had that with enough incidences going on as well as people at their home having their own ring doorbells, you know, compromised and, you know, having their bank accounts constantly having to change out their credit cards, they were compromised. So people are feeling it at a personal level. And then they're also seeing it, you know, at a national level in terms of banks and libraries and uh, Department of State. This is a challenge. It's real, but not everyone's coming together in terms of how can we make a difference to actually change this? And I think that Part of that issue lays on how the United States is constructed in terms of our three branches of government, whether federal or state, and how that issue has arisen on top of our governance in the United States. And that what makes it particularly challenging in terms of is there one way forward or not, or can we all rally together around some common purposes and goals? Yeah, it definitely strikes me when I think about having worked in this space, but also previously in the the more functional side and operational cybersecurity side that there are a number of really impressive initiatives, whether it be through industry, academia, and government that are looking to to sort of take on um, this workforce shortage and the talent and skill set shortage we have head on. What are some of the things that you have found, especially in your work with Capital Technology University, that have helped to create new pathways, not only for individuals, but maybe even for the employers that are looking to, you know, employ these graduates after they go through their programs? Everyone has, you know, an innate need to belong. They all want to belong to something that's important. And if we can get people to have a sense of this is areas important, you can easily get them into the pipeline. But getting them into the pipeline and getting them into the workforce, I think are almost two different equations, right? And we're trying to match those up with all the initiatives that are going on right now. So in that regard, I think they're looking at all avenues of tapping into talent, starting off young, with, you know, some of the middle schools and the high schools, starting off with varying types of degrees and scholarships and opportunities for associate degrees and bachelor's degrees. They're looking at doing cross-training for mid-level career people that may want to change and move into the area of cybersecurity, some cross-training going on. 
They're looking at, there's initiatives right now with veterans and first responders. After they may have done their 20 years, they can move on and try something else. Moving naturally into cybersecurity, retraining and having that paid for and having them open up the doors for that. So just opening up the aperture of who might be interested so that the pull to pull from and to gravitate and, you know, get the energy behind it. There's a bigger mass in which to literally pull from. From that way forward, from the employer perspective, as you mentioned as well, they have to be creative. So keeping folks upskilled and current is a whole nother challenge. So this field is just layered with issues in terms of opportunities and challenges that have to get, you know, have to go through it. So that's why I call cybersecurity a team sport because there's so much to get the right person in the chair at the right time to fit, you know, to address the right threat. Yeah. Um, I love that you referenced that it's a team sport. It's something that I've harped on for a while now around the idea that we're often trying to field players, you know, on the field without even knowing their positions in a real consistent way. And then we're somehow surprised when we haven't given them the upskilling or the training to be successful in those roles. We just expect them to kind of grow on trees. So that resonates with me a lot. One of the things though, and it's near and dear to my heart, I know to yours, is how much we've seen statistics over the years around representation in the cybersecurity field, specifically around diversity of all kinds, women in particular. And this recent study um, you're citing shows that the finding of, you know, the statistics we've seen across the industry are mirrored in the CAE institutions as well, meaning we're still lacking as much diversity as we could in those programs and in the industry. So my question to you, you know, even as a passion play and having mentored so many women and worked in this field for so long is what can not only academia, but, you know, when you think of broadly about the industry, what can our industry partners, what can academia, what can government do, what can organizations do to really not just talk about diversity and increasing diversity, but what can they really do in your mind that would start to actually have an impact on those numbers? Well, thank you for that. So in the area of gender diversity, which I think the numbers are you know, quite low, they're not moving as far as they want. I believe, you know, Jen Eastley recently commented on that. They're moving some, but, you know, not enough. In the area of gender diversity, they've been doing studies um, in terms of, you know, when um, a young female might want to get into a STEM field. They generally make up their mind by 10th grade, if not 8th grade. So you have to start really early. So they may say, I want to go into science. And somebody may say, well, but you're so good at writing. I mean, you are such an amazing creative writer. Like you want to, you don't want to give that up. And the answer would be, you can do both. You can do technical and do creative and, you know, all comes together. And, you know, cybersecurity is so multi-talented as well that you could. So what it's really is trying to change that narrative at a younger age so that the thought of where they're going to school you know, it's planted in their head earlier. But so I think we have to start before they start thinking about what school they want to go to and say, this is an amazing profession. And the first way to do that is to give students role models, show them, you know, open up the doors for, you know, different gaming opportunities um, and competitions and just fun things and, you know, Rubik's Cubes uh, contests and different things that they realize there is a home here and you do belong. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate the conversation as usual. And is there anything else that uh, you want to kind of bring up that maybe I neglected to ask? I, I just wanted to mention that I often have people say to me, well, you know, what is cyber about? You know, it, 
it's an amazing field to jump into. So it is perfect for all ages, you know, all genders, all nationalities, and it's just fun. And we're very supportive of each other. So join in. Kayla Williams is Chief Information Security Officer at security firm Devo. They're celebrating the third year of their annual SOC Appreciation Day, an online event highlighting SOC analysts as unsung heroes and encouraging organizations to improve their job satisfaction and mental well-being. Here's Kayla Williams. Devo established our SOC Analyst Appreciation Day uh, three years ago to pay some very long overdue kudos and thanks to SOC analysts who are on the front lines um, and to encourage organizations to improve job satisfaction and mental well-being, not just for SOC analysts, but for the, um, the security team as a whole. Well, give us an idea here of what exactly the event entails. Yeah, so we have some presentations and discussions from some of InfoSec community's uh, most prolific thought leaders to kind of brag on my own, but I'm uh, moderating a panel. Uh, There's a seat for everyone in cyber where we discuss how to identify the complementary skill sets in folks that may not be a traditional um, InfoSec person and how to help kind of bring people into our field. We talk with Peter, one of the uh, co-founders of uh, CyberMinds for a mental health session. And we have uh, John Hammond. I don't know if you've seen him on on uh, YouTube, but he's going to be doing a SOC hacks sex, uh, session as well. And who's your target audience here? I mean, obviously SOC analysts, but uh, folks who are perhaps interested in getting into the industry as well? Absolutely. Anybody who is interested in learning more about what it takes to be a SOC analyst, if they're not one already, if they're already um, in a security field or in an organization that has a SOC and they want to make that leap over. Um, in particular, I would you know, love to see and have feedback from folks who are interested in transitioning into security. Um, you know, Obviously, after the pandemic, quite a few people have wanted to make the career shift in one way or another. So we would love to see an uptick in folks who just want to learn more about the industry. You know, for folks who may not be familiar with what exactly SOC analysts do, can you give us a, a little description? Or what's the typical uh, job description there? So for a SOC analyst, um, I mean, every day is, is something different. But generally speaking, you know, they are the ones on the front lines, their um, eyes on glass, if you will, looking at the potential attack vectors that are uh, that they're seeing on their screens through their um their SIEM, their Security Incident and Event Management platform, um, they're responding to these alerts, they're triaging, they're working with their um, their business leaders to understand the risks of the organization so they know what actually is a true risk versus a false positive. There's, there's a lot of what we like to call like frontline work in protecting their organizations, you know, their employees, their customers from these potential attacks. And what is typically the career path for someone in this position? What sort of uh, requirements are there for someone to be effective here? You know, in my opinion, there really isn't a traditional path anymore. There used to be a very technical, you wanted to be in the weeds, if you will, from a technical perspective. But but now, you know, we're seeing shifts across the industry where people like myself, like I don't have a traditional background. I came from auditing. That, that was where I kind of got my start in this field. Um, mm. But we're seeing people who, you know, have more of the EQ to handle the stress of being 
in that type of situation, um, the desire to want to learn that, that inherent curiosity of people who, who love to identify um, trends analysis and, and looking through um, research to to understand what they're actually seeing. They have this sense of justice um, of you know wanting to stop the bad guys, if you will. And really, it, it's a, it's a field for everyone more so now than ever before. Mm. Well, the event is coming up. Uh, it is October eighteenth. Uh, how can people find out more? They can find more at SOCAnalystDay.com. That's S-O-C, AnalystDay.com. All right, terrific. Well, Kayla, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great speaking to you again. Kayla Williams is Chief Information Security Officer at Devo. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-year-plus partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Ivan. Our mixer is me, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show is written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. And I'm Trey Hester, filling in for Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.